praise right there. Come on, jump on your feet all over the room if you don't mind. Look at somebody around you and say, neighbor, I'm believing God for something big this year. Somebody just shout, I receive that, I receive that, I receive that. I'm absolutely humbled. Um, OA civility and humility demand that I say publicly what I have often said privately, and that it is, it is all right to be a copycat if you have the right cat to copy. I mean that, man. And one community church has been an influence and an inspiration, not just to myself, but pastors and ministries from across the world. And I'm just crazy enough to believe, Dr. King said, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied to a single garment of destiny that whatever impacts you directly impacts me indirectly. What does that mean? The same God that's moving in Texas is the same God that can move in Alabama. And I'm just crazy enough to believe connecting to a ministry like this, eyes have not seen and ears have not heard. Can we celebrate the greatest spiritual leaders on the face of the planet? And Pastor and Lady Conway, can we do that? Is that all right? Also, I see one of my big brothers in the faith, Bishop Van Moody, uh, sitting right there, who's an absolute dynamic man of God and inspirational leader. Can we celebrate him for being here? Who came to get a word this morning? Anybody? While you're standing, grab your Bibles. Go to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. And let's start with verse 1. Once you got it, shout, I got it. If you need a little time, shout, Lord, help me. If you didn't even bring a Bible, say, put it on the screen. <laughs> so they don't have any Bibles in here. Huh? There you will find these words. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on an island called Malta. Yeah. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. Verse 3. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on a fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. You better watch the snakes in your life. The people on the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to leave. Can I, can, can I pause and parenthetically digress? How are you showing me love in verse 3, then waiting on me to die in verse 4? If you don't do nothing else for me this year, either love me or just leave me alone. A murderer, no doubt, although he has escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. I feel a little God on this next verse. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. If I had to use for a topic today, my topic simply would be, after all that I've been through, a simple phrase, it didn't kill me. If you're a survivor, just look at somebody around you and shout, it didn't kill me, it didn't kill me. You may be seated. And the Lord's house, it didn't kill me. And every real survivor said, amen. It was Elbert Hubbard who said, and I quote, when God looks you over, he won't look you over for medals, diplomas, nor degrees, but rather for scars. It was Zora Neale Hurston who said, if you're silent about your pain, they'll kill you and say you enjoyed it. In today's text, we meet a brother who's in purpose, but also in pain. And when it comes to purpose and pain, the two aren't mutually exclusive. You can't have one without the other. 
It was purpose that made David rush to the front line to fight Goliath. But it was painful when your own father didn't think you were good enough to be king. It was purpose that made Joseph dream and find favor on another level. But it was painful watching your brother sell you into slavery. It was purpose that made that perfect Palestinian Jew named Jesus look into a cup and suggest, nevertheless, thy will be done. But it was painful enduring the crucifixion. Might I suggest to somebody at one community that if pain was his death certificate, purpose became my birth certificate. That you can't shout about the power of the resurrection until you grasp in totality the sovereignty of the crucifixion. And the problem with the 21st century church is we are conditioning a generation of Christians on celebration, not suffering. We're conditioning a generation of Christians on celebration, not suffering. That we are teaching them how to have a praise break, but not how to stand when something breaks. That if you live long enough, life is not just about celebration, it's about suffering. And I know nobody's going to say amen right here, because if I said a house was coming, you would bump your neighbor. If I said a job had your name on it, you would say preach, Michael. If I said your money, your bank account was about to double, you would wave your hand. But when do you get to a point where you learn to thank God for the suffering in your life? And sadly, we've become a generation of Christians who shout on stupidity and sit on substance. That it's all about what you can get from God instead of what God is trying to get to you. And I've come with an announcement for five people that sometimes God won't take you out the storm, but he also won't let the storm take you out. Oh, can I preach to somebody in here who's been through some stuff and survived some stuff and lived to tell the tale that in spite of that nefarious nemesis known as the devil who tries with all of his might to thwart your thinking and attenuate your faith, you can stand proudly and say, after all that I've been through, I am still here. That through the pain, through the suffering, I am still here. That's why I love one community because he said you can either run or be reflective you can run or be reflective but when he said that my mind began to race because when order to run you have to be reflective and if I'm reflecting I'm setting up my run you miss what I just said right there the reason I'm running is because like grandmama I'm gonna catch three people who grew up in an old Baptist church she would simply sit there and reflect and say when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out. You can see why I love Paul, what Dr. Jackson, one of my professors at Yale Divinity calls the talented tent maker from Tarsus who tentilates us with tough theology. Paul is a cold cat. It's certain people in the Bible, you got to do your research. You cannot be a Christian and not go to, and go to heaven without learning about who Paul is. Paul is a cold cat. Paul is the sweet mix of soul and science. He's seminary trained but street savvy cold brother I like Paul because like many of you he's been through some stuff survive some stuff and live to tell the tale. Paul has written scriptures in the Bible that don't even need breaking down. There are certain scriptures that you got to properly harmonize your hermeneutics with relevant homiletics, building a bridge of contemporization from the original audience to now, making sure you do the historicity and the syntax of the text. But then there are certain scriptures that if you got any Jesus in you, when you hear this scripture, you cannot sit there and be quiet. Paul wrote scriptures like, and we know. 
that God causes all things to work together for your good. I like Paul because Paul has two R's that are necessary for you to be a hero in the faith. He has relationship and resume. Michael, he has relationship and resume. One of the most frustrating things about most people who find themselves situated and acculturated in church is that they may have one but don't have the other. See, relationship means I know who God is. I have a personal relationship and interaction with who God is, but resume means I've seen God move. Ooh, can I talk to somebody who can say I have relationship and resume that if you looked at me and if you really knew half the hell that I've been through, you would throw me a surprise party because the reason I can give God glory is not just off of my relationship, but off of my resume. Paul is a cold brother. You know Paul. I like him because he has resume. And the worst thing you can do for me is to try to give me constructive criticism when you haven't constructed anything. Can I say that again? Try to give me constructive criticism when you haven't constructed anything. Please don't tell me nothing if you ain't built nothing. No, Paul says, Mike, before you teach them who I am, please tell them I've been beaten more times than I can remember. I've been stoned and left for dead. My people turned their back on me. I was doing what I thought was the right thing, but God had to knock me down to get my attention. That's right. He said, tell them I hooked up with my partner Silas and we arrived on shore and we said we was going to play, pray, but then out of nowhere, I bumped into a sister named Lydia. Now, all my ladies, please sit on the edge of your seat because Paul and Silas get off the boat. They're walking and doing what they're going to do, headed to pray. They bump into a sister named Lydia, who is what I would call an entrepreneur and an evangelist. Yeah, she, she's double anointed. And I want to speak this, and three of y'all going to catch this, because the text says she's a seller of purple. At the same time, she gets her family delivered. So she has, please do not run. Just sit here and be reflective. She has what I call an ambidextrous anointing. Yes, yeah, she's saved. Hmm and paid. She, she saved, yeah, and paid. And see, the reason only six of y'all clout, because you said, that's my testimony right there. I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to catch somebody in both hands that I'll be able to close a business deal and intercede at the same time that I am ambidextrously anointed. Lydia meets Paul and Silas and she hears about this gospel that is so transformative and the text says something that almost gets me excited because it says Lydia hears about the word but then the next phrase says and her family got baptized you missed your first shout of the morning right there Lydia heard a word but the text says her family got baptized you're slow but you're worth waiting on I'll say it again Lydia heard the word but her family got baptized can I ask you a question who heard the word Lydia, can I ask you a question? If the family didn't even get the word, how did the family get baptized? It's because it don't take the whole family to catch a revelation. If one person in the family get a word, the whole family can get delivered. See, I'm crazy enough to believe the reason you're sitting in church today is because you're saying, God, just don't do it for me. I'm going to catch you. But God, do it for my entire family. 
I am naming you the spiritual captain of your family as of right now. And I'm giving you 10 seconds to praise God, not for what you need God to do in your life. But God, if you don't do nothing else, bless the mother who didn't cover. Bless my father who didn't bother. Bless every niece. Bless every nephew. Somebody shout yes. She, she hears the word, but the family gets delivered. What if I told you they would treat you better if they realized the favor on the family was connected to the anointing that is on you? Oh, he hears the word. And the text says, Lydia, who is an entrepreneur, shifts into an evangelist. She is what I would call a double agent because she has a business. But she also knows the importance of having a relationship with God. She gets her family blessed. And Paul and Silas continue walking. Now, here's what I love about a person who's in purpose. When you're in purpose, purpose will find you. I don't hear what I just said. Purpose will find you. Paul and Silas are walking, and now they bump into a small girl. First thing they meet is a woman who is an entrepreneur. Then they meet a little girl who's in bondage. This is the power of the anointing, that the anointing is powerful enough to span the garment of who attends the place. It says they meet a woman who is an entrepreneur, then they meet a little girl, did you catch that, who's in bondage. She, she sort of has a spirit of divination. She should have been a prophetess, but because she's connected to the wrong people, they make her a fortune teller. Did you catch that? She should have been a small prophetess, but because she's connected to the wrong people, they make her a fortune teller. Can, can I help you real quickly? If, if, if I go to Walmart and buy a basketball, that basketball in my hand is worth about $12. But if I put that ball in LeBron James' hands, it's worth about $20 million. If I go to Sam's and buy some golf clubs, those golf clubs are probably $15, but, but if I put them in Tiger Woods' hands, they're worth about $20 million, okay? I, I might offend somebody. I hope I don't offend you. If I put some groceries in some of y'all hands, it's only worth about $10. But, but if you put groceries in Big Mama's hands or Grandmama's hands, gra Grandmama can feed the whole family. Can I free you? The problem isn't the basketball, the golf clubs, or the groceries. The problem is who's hands therein. This sister should have been a prophetess, but instead, because she's in the wrong hands, they make her a fortune teller. Might I submit that one of the greatest misconceptions of your life is that the devil actually led you to believe there was something wrong with you, when in actuality, there may have been a problem with whose hands you were in, which is why the type of anointing and the life you get at one community is antithetical to where you come from, because the last place I was, I somewhat felt inadequate and unfulfilled, but once I made the transition into getting into the right hands. Something in my life began to get away. This is why to all my singles in the room, this is why exes want you back. This is why people want to try to get another chance in your life. Because once they left you, they thought you were going to fall off. But they didn't realize once you left, the favor stayed with you. And now that you're finding yourself in the right hands, things are turning for your 
favor. She's in the right hands. And she's following behind Paul and Silas. This is so critical because as Paul and Silas began to walk, this young girl is walking behind them making quotes. She's saying, these are men of the Most High God. These are men of the Most High God. These are men of the Most High God. When I looked at the text, I do not see the problem with what she's saying because what she's saying is not inaccurate. It is not what she's saying. It's the spirit behind what she's saying because some of the greatest attacks on your life will be ushered in through a compliment. That'll hit you Friday. Don't even worry about that. Some of the greatest attacks on your life will be ushered in through a compliment. Can I ask you a question? If a snake is the picture of betrayal, why is snake? Why are snakes the most quietest creatures? You would think the picture of betrayal would be a lion who roars loud because you would assume because it hurts so much, it sounds so loud. But the snake does not make a loud noise. He makes a because some of the greatest sicknesses in your life come through small egregiences. So what happens is she said, these are men of the most high God. These are men of the most high God. And then Paul finally gets irritated. He turns to her and says something that makes me go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. He looks at her and says, in the name of Jesus, come out. Now, here's what I got to pray that I don't lose my mind. I put my nice suit on because I was coming to one community. Had I been in my church, I probably would have been in J's and a T-shirt, but I was coming to one community, and I love what your pastor's doing, and I love this church, so I wanted to look like something and be dignified and be presentable, but I'm just a little boy from Birmingham, Alabama, from a small Baptist church who gets excited, and there are certain words you cannot say around me. He says, in the name, not of Mike McClure, in the name, not of Pastor Conway, in the name, not of Bishop Moody, but in the name of Jesus. And I don't know where you are. I don't know what your bank ledger is. I don't know what side of town you come from. But if you know who God is, there are certain names that you cannot hear and remain silent and remain quiet. Why PMJ? Because it is at that name. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. It is at that name that if I need healing, all I got to do is call on the name of Jesus. See, if I yelled my name, everybody who does not know me would just wave at me. But if I started saying the name of Jesus, this is what the writer called an antiphonal praise. What is an antiphonal praise? They said in the text, and the angels cried one to another, holy. Then another angel said, holy. Then another angel said, holy. Then another angel said, holy. The correct term for that is an antiphonal praise, which means I refuse to allow your praise to be my praise because I know who we're praising. And the God who we are praising has been just as good to me as he has been to you. What's an antiphonal praise? That if somebody over here shouted Jesus, then somebody over here would shout Jesus. Then somebody else in the back would shout Jesus. I wonder... If one community can give God an antiphonal praise, that if one person can shout Jesus, then another person shout, then a sister over here shout. If he's ever been a healer, shout Jesus. If he ever saved your family, shout Jesus. If he woke you up this morning, shout Jesus. If he kept you in COVID, 300 folk ought to jump up and just shout Jesus. Somebody shout Jesus. There's something about the name Jesus. 
Y'all got to pray for me. But it's something about the name Jesus. That's what grandmama would have said. It is the sweetest name. I got to stop. I know. Then she threw her head back and said, oh, how I love the name Jesus. Oh, how I love the name Jesus. It is sweetest name. Paul, Paul looks at her and says, in the name of Jesus, come out. But what happens is the people, listen to me closely when I say this, the people who were benefiting from her brokenness got upset. That's a cold phrase if you listen to it. The people who were benefiting from her brokenness. I'm going to say this, and some of y'all going to just start squirming in your seat. There are certain people in your life who you love but they like you better broken. Michael. See, 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 this is why, this is why, I might say this for the later certain, no, I'm going to say this to some of y'all. This is why, this is why people will take you to a party, but say, call me when you come from church. This is why, this is why if you said, I got two tickets to the game, anybody will go. But if you say, come with me to worship, let me check my calendar. Because I've discovered certain people like you better broken. They like you better with your limp. Because when you got a limp, it doesn't force them to move at the speed they should be moving at. And the reason, am I helping anybody? Am I helping anybody? Am I helping anybody? This is why, this is why when you're in foolishness, they like talking to you. I was talking to a brother the other day. He said, man, I really feel like God is calling me to do something special. He said, what would you pray for me for? I said, I'm praying that God gives you the strength to handle success. He said, what do you mean? I said, failure is way more easier than success. When you fail, everybody pray for you. When you win, don't nobody congratulate you. No, no. So, so brokenness, watch this. Brokenness attracts those who are broken. Hear me when I say this. And what happens in the text is that this sister gets delivered, but then her handlers get frustrated. And when her handlers get frustrated, they begin to beat Paul and Silas. And if I had to succinctly summarize what they did to Paul and Silas, I could succinctly summarize it in this statement. These beaten, bruised, broken, bloody but breathing. Yeah, he's beaten, bruised, broken, bloodied, but breathing. If we had to look back over the last 18 months, nobody would have ever convinced us we would be in a national pandemic, isolated from our families. But I am here today to testify we've been beaten, bruised, broken, bloodied, but breathing. And they throw Paul in a jail. As they throw Paul in the jail, and if I had time, I would break down, they throw him in the inner jail. They put chains on him, and they throw him in the inner jail. And the text says, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, so much so that the enemy heard, the, the prisoners heard him, and immediately his doors opened, and immediately his chains were loose. And my problem with my generation of preachers is that we are not preaching an inaccurate gospel. We are preaching an incomplete gospel. My problem with the 21st century preacher is because we become a slave to response. We now preach for response instead of for God to respond. 
Now we are preaching, watch this, an inaccurate and an incomplete gospel. Because what happens when we preach this story is that it's the height point. It is the climax of the text. And we say, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sing praises unto God so much so hmm, that the enemy heard and immediately, yeah, doors hmm, started open. I wish I had somebody who would just look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, God, and you get so emotionally attached to what you want that you miss the wholeness of the word. The text does not say that they prayed and sing praises and the doors open, period. That is incomplete. The text says they prayed and sing praises, but then God caused an earthquake. See, if you don't preach about the earthquake, you have people leaving church thinking if they go home and holler, they'll get delivered. But it's what you do on earth combined with what God does in heaven that gets you an open door. Am I preaching to anybody? And if we are not careful, we are raising a generation of Christians who think if they scream loud enough, heaven will move. We say things that are not biblically accurate, like when praises go up. Blessing, what scripture is that? When praises go up, we say things like he won't put more on you than you can bear. What scripture is that? That's a Kurt Franklin song. That's not a scripture. Hear me when I say this. So now we are building our lives on a theological construct that is not even soteriologically safe, that we don't even realize we are now fighting a devil with weapons that don't exist. When we should be saying, no, the same God that giveth is the Lord that taketh away. We should be telling you scriptures right now that, that, that build your theological construct. Hear me when I say this. Paul is anointed. Paul is saved. Paul is blessed. Paul is favored, but he's in prison. And I know you're not going to shout, so I'm going to shout all by myself today because I came to debunk and demystify one of the greatest myths that we find in the body of Christ is that you can be saved, favored, and don't go through nothing. But live long enough. Watch this. Whoever... God favors the kingdom features, but the devil fights. Do I need to say that again? Whoever God favors, the kingdom features, but the devil fights. The text says Paul and Silas prayed and sing praises, so much so that the prisoners heard them. Michael, keep yourself calm. And then the doors open. Earthquake happens. So God, God causes an earthquake at the exact time that Paul starts shouting, which means Paul is in God's will because timing matters. Timing matters. And what happens? Because God and Paul are on one accord. The text now says, help me God, doors open. Can I prophesy? Because you're in God's will, in the right time, in the right place, and because of your faithfulness, can I speak over your life? Get ready. Because God's about to start opening doors. Can, can I speak over your life? Doors are opening. That God's about to bring things back around. The stuff that you thought failed 15 months ago. God said the reason it failed had nothing to do with you. It wasn't the right time. I was behind the scenes moving and working on your behalf. Get ready because doors are about to open. 
I took Miles to Sam, I'm sorry, to Target. That's his favorite store. We get to Target. Miles runs ahead of me. He's four. He runs ahead of me. He gets to the doormat and the door open. <laughs> he takes a step back and looks, and I could see on his face he just had a paradigm shift. He steps back, door closed. He steps up again, door opens. All right? He looks back at me and says, Dad, 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 that door open. Dad, Dad, that door open for me. I said, sure did. I put him in the buggy. I go get his toys. I get his, all, his, 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 all the toys toys he want, we put him in the car, we get home, he gets out the car, and all of a sudden he takes out running. I'm like, where is he going? He gets to the front door of the house and walks up to it, but the door don't open. I can see on my son's face, he now has a theological problem, because the last door he walked to opened for him. He's standing at home and like, Dad, what's wrong? So now as a father, I'm faced with a critical decision. Do I kill his faith and say, son? Do I call Michael and say, Michael, as Miles runs up, open the door from behind. But then I said, I can't do that. Because if I do that at four, he'll be 34 thinking every door is his door. All right, I'm going to separate the real from the fake. When is the last time you thank God for the door that didn't open? When is the last time you thank God for the blessing he didn't give you? When is the last time you thank God for the prayer he didn't? Have you ever wanted something so bad and you went to God in prayer and as much as you prayed, God didn't do it. But when you look back, you can say, God, I thank you. You did not give me what I prayed for because God, no, my ways are not. So it is this Paul who we meet in Acts chapter 28. And in Acts chapter 28, verse 1, the text opens up with a statement that causes me to be biblically nosy. Acts chapter 28, verse 1 says, and after we have been brought safely through. See, it's too much in that scripture. I'm biblically nosy after we have been brought safely through. Acts chapter 28, verse 1 says after, which means I have to examine what happened before. A text without context becomes a pretext, thus conning you out of the truth. I have to understand, in order to properly exegete Acts chapter 28, you have to sit in Acts chapter 27. They are not apart. They are connected. They are joined. So when I looked at Acts chapter 28, I had to go back to Acts chapter 27. In Acts chapter 27, Paul is a prisoner on a boat. He's a prisoner on the boat, and he looks at the captain and says, I perceive it is not wise for us to sail at this time. The captain looks back at Paul and says, this is what I do. Paul says, if you knew like I knew, you wouldn't do it. Captain looks back at him and says, I've been sailing for 30 years. He looks back at Paul. Paul says, brother, something in my spirit is saying we shouldn't be sailing. They get halfway on the sea, and a storm breaks loose. Can I pause and submit to you one of the greatest tricks that the devil does is that he calms like down long enough to make you think it's God. He lets you get out there so far to where you're too far out there. Watch this. You're not close enough to where you're going, but you're too far away to turn back. Michael, you are stuck in the middle. And, and, and when they get to the middle, a storm breaks loose. Paul, while he's in chains, an angel, this is in Acts chapter 27, comes to Paul and tells Paul, you have to stand trial. In no uncertain terms, be calm in this storm because you're going to make it. And might I submit to somebody listening to me this morning and at every campus that they have that one word from God will sustain you? <laughs> that in the midst of a storm, why is Paul not panicking? Thank you. I got a word. And I wonder who's sitting in this room right now can testify to the reality that the things you have been through have been so crazy. And the reason you still have a little sanity left is because you got a word. 
that the reason you woke up and came to church this morning, the reason you tune in every week, the reason you won't miss a week and miss a Sunday and miss a podcast because they, people in your life have no idea how the words you get here change your life. Paul is on the boat and the storm breaks loose and he looks at the captain and he says in no uncertain terms, everybody chill, there won't be a loss of life. But immediately after Paul makes that statement, the Bible tells us that the boat begins to break. Now here's where so many people get messed up in church. Because if the boat begins to break after they get a word, did the word miss? Can, can I ask you a real question? Have you ever came to church and your pastors gave you a word, but then the moment you walked out the door, your life was antithetical to what they just preached? Have you ever been in church and they said, no, God's about to bless you, but then you went home and was under more stress than you've ever been? So did my pastor miss? No, because the word is always in part. Word always comes in part. And the problem with so many believers is you can't make the word mean what you want it to mean. No, Pastor Mike, God told me I was about to get a promotion. You thought on your job. You didn't realize he was promoting you to another level of hell. No, no, because the word comes in parts. And, and the boat begins to break. And the Bible says 276 people jump off the boat into the water. And I bet if Paul was here, he would look at you and say, Paul, Mike, I didn't miss. I never told them the boat was going to make it. I said, we were going to make it. And that's preaching to the reality that many of you have been through some things that I can tell God, I may have lost some stuff, but I didn't lose me. I may have lost some things, but I didn't lose me. And 276 people, the Bible says, make it to shore off of pieces of the boat. Can't you see 276 people holding on to broken pieces of the boat in the water. It's sort of like Titanic, you know, when Jack, when, when she wouldn't let Jack on that piece of board, and I want to pause and parenthetically digress, that ain't love. It was enough space on that door for everybody to get on. Every married couple ought to shout, what, 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 what? If you love me, look at a married person and say, you better let me on that board. Both of us would have froze in that water. You're not going to leave me in this water. 276 people, I hope you catch this, make it off of pieces of the boat. I know you don't want to say amen because you don't want people in your business, but when you get home, I just want you to say, that young boy was preaching to me. Do you know what it's like to live of broken pieces? No. He says, no, I'm going to get you there. Thank you, God. But you may not get there like you thought you were going to get there. (laughs) No, you may not. I, I, I may use unconventional things and unconventional places, and unconventional people to get you there. But I want to prophesy, you still going to get there. Somebody ought to just lay hands on your own heart and say, I'm still going to get there. Even if I got to get there off of broken pieces. And what we have to understand is that within every miracle is a miracle that you miss. Within every miracle is a miracle that you miss. Because when they jump into the water, so many people think the shout is that they made it to shore off of broken pieces. But I remember in the book of Genesis when God began creating. In the book of Genesis, God begins to create. He creates flying things, crawling things, swimming things. 
which means the same thing that was in the water that swallowed Jonah is still in the water, which means every fish he created in Genesis is still in the water, which means one of the miracles that most people miss, that the blessing is not just that they made it to shore. Help me, God. The blessing also is the fact that while they were in the water, he placed the hedge of protection around them. See, what if I told you you so busy shouting over where you landed that you missed the fact that he kept you while you were moving? And, and this is why now in my 30s, I understand what my grandfather, Bishop Calvin Woods, the last person to see Dr. King alive in Birmingham, Alabama, civil rights legend. I grew up watching, uh, listening to him and Abernathy and Shuttlesworth and all of them have conversations. I've seen handwritten notes that they would be in movement meetings talking about the next march and 16th Street bombing. And I would see him when we were younger. He would say things to me that I didn't understand in my 20s. But now that I'm in my 30s, I understand understand it just a little better when he would make statements like God kept me from danger seen help me God and unseen and see until you understand what God was doing that you did not see you really don't understand how good God is and while while they're in the water they're being kept and they get to shore and the verse says the natives showed them extraordinary kindness because of the coal and the rain that has set in and built them a fire this is why one community is so successful. Because the scripture says when 276 people come out of the cold water, the text says the natives. Nowhere in the scripture does it tell me who's the leader. Nowhere in the scripture does the text say because there is no wasted ink in the Bible. Nowhere in the scripture does it say and then the chief told the ministry leaders to go hug people. No, the people had a heart. That when they saw people who looked like they'd been through something, they all began to show them extraordinary kindness because of the rain that had set in and they began to build a fire. And I'm getting ready to go, but I love what Paul does. But Paul gathered his own bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire. If I had time, I would tell you elements are a euphemism or a metaphor for spiritual things. Water is synonymous with baptism in the Holy Spirit. Wind is synonymous with the ruah or the breath of God. Fire is synonymous with praise. This is why that weeping prophet Jeremiah, when he didn't want to preach anymore, he said, I'm not going to preach, I'm not going to teach, I'm not going to prophesy, but it's like fire. Shut up in my Bone. This is why the three Hebrew boys had the challenge that they had. When they wouldn't praise how they were told to be praised, he placed them in what? Fire. Hear me when I say this. He says, I'm going to build my own fire. And if I had time, if fire is synonymous with praise, one is led to believe that after they make it on shore, Paul says, nobody has to praise or build a fire for me. I'll build it myself. But here's the problem with my last three minutes when he picks up the bundles of sticks it's something in the sticks fronting he picks up the sticks and as long as the sticks are in the coal everything looks like a stick as long as the sticks are in a normal atmosphere they all look like sticks but the moment help me God they put the sticks in the fire what was fronting can't front anymore. The snake who was front like a stick jumped out the fire. And here's what's crazy, because you would think with all of the anointing and all of the favor that Paul has, how he didn't see the snake. 
This is for 10 of y'all who are experienced, who, is, who, who are anointed, who's favored, who's been around the world a couple times, and you've lived long enough but still get bit. You still get bit. How didn't he see the snake? It's because when snakes are placed in certain environments, they know how to adapt to survive in those environments. So Paul picked up a stick, a snake that he thought was a stick. And if I could leave you on one message and I could submit to somebody listening to me this morning, live long enough, there are two types of individuals you're going to deal with. Sticks and snakes. What's a stick, PMJ? When I tore my ACL playing ball, my pastor, I'm sorry, my doctor gave me some stick, I'm sorry, some crutches. He, he said, if you're going to keep moving and have mobility, I got to give you, not stick, I got to give you crutches. Yeah, because sticks are designed to help you move when you don't have enough strength to move on your own. See, sticks help you get where you're going when you don't have the strength to get there by yourself. See, this is why we always spend too much time talking about who left when you should be thanking God for who stayed. It, it was the sticks in my life that helped me become what God has intended for me to be. So, Pastor Mike, how do I discern, how do I learn the difference between sticks and snakes? I'm so glad you asked. Put it in the fire. If you want to know if they are who they say they are, put them in the fire. Or in other words, see when life gets hot for you, if they will turn and run or they will stand by you and stick with you through some of the most difficult times of your life. He gets bit by the snake. And my last point of the morning, he's bitten by the snake, but nowhere in the text does he emote. That's the coldest thing I've ever seen. Nowhere in, I know emotion is, is, is in the Bible because Jesus wept. Jesus yelled, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. So I do know emotion is present. But when Paul is bitten, nowhere in the text does he say, ouch. Nowhere in the text does he scream help. Nowhere in the text does he scream it hurts. Paul teaches us a leadership principle that sometimes when you're bitten, your mouth should close. Leaders who cannot endure pain start bleeding. And a bleeding leader becomes a bleeder. Not B-L-E-E-D-R, but B-L-E-A-D-E-R. They become a leader who bleeds. And they begin, watch this, to bleed on people who weren't even bitten. Which is why, and I hope I can free somebody in here, the pain that you're going through, what if you're still in it because you keep talking about it? What if God says, no, what I'm trying to do in your life in this season is between you and I, not us and them? Did you catch that? Now, I am pro-counseling. I am pro-talking to people who can help me, but I'm also understanding there are certain seasons of my life when I'm bitten, I have to remain silent. And the text says, with the snake on his hand, he says nothing. Is this the reason Jesus never said a mumbling word? And with the snake on his hand, the text says, he begins to shake. He allows his actions to heal him. And the people look at him and say, a murderer, no doubt, 
although he escaped the sea, <clears throat> justice will not permit him to live. And text says, after they watched him for a long time, they began to say, surely he's a God. I want us to speak over your life today that as we talk about heroes of the faith, <clears throat> every hero that you meet gets their power through some form of adversity. Peter Parker had to be bit. Bruce Wayne had to lose his family. You cannot get the power without the pain. And, and it's the pain, say this right, it is the pain of being you that produces the power of being you. Can I say that again? It's the pain of being you that produces the power of being you. That there are two types of adversities that you will face. Internal adversity and external adversity. Internal adversity is me versus me. External adversity is me versus them. And sadly, sometimes we will never become what God intended for us to be as long as all of our fights are against them. True growth takes place when you get the maturity to say, Pastor Mike, I hurt me. So this morning, it's my prayer that although, and I believe by faith, you're going to survive everything that the devil throws at you. Here's my problem. When Jonah runs from God, he's the one person in the Bible that I don't want to be. Why, Pastor Mike? Because if the devil is picking on me, I can call God. But who do you call when God will be? My prayer today is that you stop running. Father, in the name of Jesus, our prayer is a simple one today. Give us the strength to tackle every giant, every trial, everything that tries to block my pursuit of destiny. I speak right now, God, that we understand what means what that you will connect the why to our what. That God, that you have no problem with us having stuff, but you do have a problem with stuff having us. So God, I pray right now that we understand it's the pain of being who we are that creates the power of being who we are. That God, there is no salvation without the pain of the crucifixion. That God, we understand that in spite of how difficult life sometimes may be, Sometimes it's the development that is tantamount to who you're calling us to become. So God, in this moment, I thank you for every mountain you've taken me over. But I also thank you for every valley that you've taken me through. I thank you for every win, but I also thank you for every loss. God, I speak by faith we will be whole, not just healed. Throughout the Bible, God, we see people who were healed but didn't come back to say thank you. But we see one person come back and God says, you have been made whole. Healing may be what somewhat temporary, but wholeness is eternal. So God, I thank you right now for what you're doing, all that you have done. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Can you clap your hands and give God a hand clap of praise right there?